his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, we all understand that this is not just meaning he uh, intellectually knew her. There's an intimacy in their relationship, Uh, a, a biblical word for that intimacy. And the result of that, she says, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. We see that as Scripture teaches us again, that there is one source for all human beings. There's not multiple sources. That Eve herself is the mother of all human beings. So all of us can say, who is your really, really, really great grandmother? We can all go back to Eve, can we not? We can all go back to Adam. But notice, who is it that gives her this name? It's Adam himself. We sometimes want to to give a picture that once Adam has fallen and and is cast out of the garden that he does does not think about God and his ways. And yet, Adam here is giving her a name, recognizing that picture of that seed. Right within the fall, there's the promise of the seed, and Adam then names his wife Eve that she would be the mother of all living. In chapter 4, it begins to show the offspring of Adam and Eve. We will see a picture of this acceptable worship here in verses 1 to 7. But I don't want us to miss this phrase in verse 3. In the course of time. Sometimes when we're reading Scripture putting on a chronological line can be a little challenging. And sometimes when we're reading Scripture geographically, that's why I think traveling to the the Holy Land, to Israel, is an amazing thing because you're able to then begin to put things into perspective. Oh yeah, Bethany is only just around the corner from Jerusalem. This is a a simple little walk. You begin to understand the, the scope of Scripture. But also we need to understand that time is passing. Catherine didn't just all of a sudden have a baby, correct? The time passes. And while some people try to say, well, maybe uh, Cain and Abel are twins, more than likely they're not, uh, due to it's just showing that there's more time that's passing along here. And so we have time that's progressing. Even here that they are workers of the ground and of the field and they bring forth uh, flocks, Alethea is pretty cute, but she's not bringing forth flocks right now, is she? No, because time is progressing. So we need to read Scripture and to understand and to get this picture that, that time is progressing here. How old are Cain and Abel in this passage? We don't know. Uh, we, we know that at least it seems from the text that because verse 17 says Cain knew his wife, that there's not time uh, for that to have taken place. So we see this picture that time is passing. And it says, and in the course of time, an offering is brought. I want us to see, and it's pretty obvious, there are two worshipers here in our text. Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is really a song of praise that she is speaking here to God. 
She Actually, she's not speaking directly to God. She's saying in general, but acknowledging the Lord. She is rejoicing like Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a reward. Sometimes we might feel like, Lord, you're cursing me with my past sins in this child, but they are a blessing. But notice her focus here. With the help of the Lord. She recognizes that there is not hope in herself here. A commentary that I've enjoyed, um, it's called uh, A Commentary on the First Five, uh, no, the First Ten Books of the First Book of the Bible called Genesis uh, by John Bunyan. You know, in the, in the 17, 1800s, they had really long names for titles uh, and, and thankful for shorter things. But John Bunyan wrote this. He says, I attend to this point that Eve gives thanks to God for having begun to raise up a posterity through her, though she was deserving of perpetual barrenness as well as utter destruction. What a, what a great picture. And a picture of God's grace in her life. She has just been a part of the fall here, has been banished from the garden, and yet God is showing graciousness and kindness to her and blessing, and she is recognizing that the fruit of her womb has come directly from the Lord. Great perspective that she has. We see in the bringing forth of these sons, it's, a, it's an obedience to God's command to be fruitful and multiply. We don't know how many children they had. Jewish history says they had 50 children. They, they've got 19 kids and counting beat there. But we don't know. We, we know of a few here in our text. But the first one we see here in verse 2, excuse me, verse 1, is Cain. His name in Hebrew kind of sounds like cayenne pepper. He is a farmer. He is a worker of the ground. And sadly, as we begin to see the scope of Scripture, Cain becomes a picture of the unsaved. Next week, we're going to look at this to see throughout chapter 4, the picture of the unsaved. Jude chapter 11 says, woe to them, for they walked in the way of who? Cain. His life becomes a picture of the wicked. But the text says in verse 3, that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. If you really look at this chapter, the focus is upon Cain. It's not about Abel. And I'll just say this. I'm probably going to mix up Cain and Abel sometime today. Jenny used to give me a hard time because I would mix them up. And I've gotten pretty good at it, but I've already found myself when I was typing out my notes that I would flip it up and I'm like, no, here we go. Abel is Abel, right? Cain is not. Uh, That's a very oversimplification of this text. But Cain himself brings an offering. In verse 4, jumping, excuse me, back to verse 2, and again she bore his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. 
Cain was a worker of the ground. Verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So we see that both of them bring something to the Lord. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. And both have given an offering. And that's important as we see the second one, second point here. That there are two responses from God. There are two responses. Verse 4 says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. He approved of his offering would be another way to say that. To approve, uh, the, the word here in the ESV is this word regard. For he approved it, it, it was to look with interest or approval, to look at fondly. It, it's kind of interesting because there's not a lot of details given here. It, it, it says it kind of pretty straightforwardly. Cain came, Abel came, God looked favorably upon Abel's offering. But there's kind of a contrast here. Because it says, verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. In, in other words, Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering was rejected. He had no regard. He did not look upon it with interest or approval. And then we ask the question. What is the question? Why? Just like any three-year-old kid says, why? We need to ask that question, but then we begin to get tied up in a little bit of a knot. Because we begin to see, well, what is the answer to this question? You may be seated. (laughs) We we want to sometimes, I I think, read a, a lot into the text here. And I want us to see that there are two, uh, two reasons. One reason for accepting, one reason for rejecting. Because there's a challenge as we study this passage. And, and I think we need to be careful, because often the possibility is thrown out that Abel's type of sacrifice was better. That his type of sacrifice, because he brought of the, um, of the flock... And we see later in Scripture that the sacrificial lamb was to atone for sin. We see that there's this kind of almost becomes a competition between blood versus fruit. But yet, are we told that here in our text? No, we're not. We we do see that the word for offering... When Cain brings an offering and Abel brings his offering, it is the the same Hebrew word. And it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1, that says, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering, that second offering is the same word that we see here in Genesis 4. So this is an instituted command by God later on. This is not something that God looks down upon. And so we need to be careful not to set this hierarchy. Well, Cain brought this type of offering that was better. 
Because God actually commands the nation Israel to bring this kind of an offering. In Deuteronomy 26, he says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first fruit of the what? The what? Ground. So we can't think that, well... Cain didn't bring a very good offering because Abel's was better because it was of the flock. But God has commanded. He's actually commanded both. Often you see the grain offering right alongside the atonement offerings. And this argument is somewhat circumstantial because we're, we're arguing from the fact that it says the, the fruit of the ground versus the flock. But also sometimes the argument can be made that Abel's quality of his sacrifice was better. Now I understand there's some words here that might cause us to say, huh. Because we don't see in verse 3 the comments that are said about Abel's offering. That Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, of the fat portions. Now we with the lens of the New Testament and the whole canon of Scripture, we look back and we understand that we're called to bring forth the best, are we not? And we hear those words, the, the firstborn or the first fruits and the, the fat portions. That's what we're called to give, are we not? But there's a word here that I kept reading over. And I didn't realize it until later on in my study. But notice verse 4. And Abel, what? Also. Now, the question is, what is this also referring to? Because he says, it says in our text, he also brought of the firstborn of his flock and also of this. Is this speaking of that just they also brought an offering? Or is this also he's bringing what's good? And textually, there's not clarity here. And we need to be careful not to just say because there's some words here that this says he's bringing a better sacrifice. We need to be careful when we read into Scripture. I love Dr. Jeremiah. Excuse me. I love um, Dr. MacArthur. But I was reading his commentary on this, this passage, and he said, Adam and Eve were the greatest evangelists ever teaching their, their children all the commands of God because they were the ones who saw it and lived it. And I'm like, I love you, Dr. MacArthur, and I appreciate your ministry, but aren't we reading a lot into Scripture? We need to be careful not to be doing that here. Especially when Scripture has given us a very clear answer of why Abel's sacrifice was received. And it's not brain surgery. Hebrews 11.4 by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. That's the answer. Now, we want to try to add all sorts of things, but we need to be careful to stick with where we see the clarity of Scripture speaking to. That we see that the faith of Abel offering to God was what made his more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews 11.4 continues and says, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. 
And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's interesting, Luke 11 says that Abel was a prophet. And how was he a prophet? We don't necessarily know, but Hebrews 11 says he still speaks. The the truth of Abel still is speaking, and he is a great example for all of us. But why are there two responses? Well, you kind of see the first one, because of his deeds of faith. It's very clear. Let's, not, let's be careful to try to stand on conjecture, especially when Scripture has spoken. If we did not have Hebrews 11, then yeah, we could talk a little bit more about kind of trying to read into some text. But we have a very clear answer in Hebrews 11.4. And other Scripture helps us to see how the heart of true worship is to proceed out of faith. Romans 14, 23. Now, the first time we read this, it might sound a little confusing, so we'll read it twice. But whoever has doubts and is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, we're jumping right into the middle of some context here. And there's a battle that's kind of going on, and it's the question of kind of this Inward and outward. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable? And, and Paul then puts this overriding principle. And it's not just a, a principle that applies to this area of conscience, but it's the, the area of all things that for whatever that does not proceed from a heart of faith is sin. How do we know that? Actually, our context in Hebrews 11 helps us understand it as well because we also see in the context of Abel's faith, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him or to please God. There is nothing if we do it without the heart of faith that pleases God. Therefore, when we come in to offer a sacrifice of praise to God, if it is not with a heart of faith, it is not acceptable to God. And so we see with Abel himself offering this sacrifice of praise in faith, and therefore, God accepted it. Faith must be the root of all worship, but what do we mean by this faith? Is this having enough faith in my ability to have it accomplished? No. This faith is this picture of depending upon God to accept the sacrifice that has been given to him. It's very subtle, but what that subtlety shows is a great difference because it takes the focus off myself and it puts it upon God. As we bring a sacrifice of praise as a song, as an act of worship in our everyday life. It is worship when we bring it to God, asking that He would be honored by it and trusting that He will choose to be honored by it. It is then when Hebrews 10 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
We come with a full assurance of faith, a full trusting in upon God the Father to accept our sacrifice, not based upon our worth, on His choice. Because if we, whatever we bring is fallen. The fruit of our hands has been tainted by sin. And like Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We have nothing to offer the Lord. Do you realize that? All of our greatest abilities are nothing. All of our greatest hymns of praise are nothing. They pale in comparison to the true worth of God, and yet as we bring them in faith, we say, Lord, please accept these. And our faith is asking God and trusting that He will accept them. We must put our faith in God's promise to accept what He has deemed acceptable. But instead of acting in faith, we see how Scripture tells us that Cain acted. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, it says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. We see that not just in the act of murdering his brother were his deeds evil, but because of it talking about Abel's actions being righteous, we see that even his back in giving it, there was an act in the act of worship, his life was tainted with sin somehow. Do we know how? Well, he was born of sin. But his deeds were deeds of evil. Instead of being deeds of faith like Abel, Cain's deeds were deeds of, of evil. His heart was revealed. In verse 7, when God is speaking to Cain, Cain verse 6, he asks, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? But notice what God says in verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? That there's something in his actions that has tainted his sacrifice. We don't know exactly what that is, but his life has tainted. His life is full of sin, and God demands our actions to come from a pure heart, with clean hands and a pure heart, God says. Though he did some outward actions of bringing a sacrifice. Think of it, Cain went through the motions. But God does not accept the wicked's worship. And Isaiah 1.15 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Proverbs 21.27 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Proverbs 15 is similar when it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to Him. 
Romans 8.8 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What I want us to also realize here, that there's this word and. And you're like, okay, there's lots of ands. Where are you talking here, Pastor? In verse 4, God had regard for Abel and his offering. In verse uh, 5, for Cain and his offering. We're not just speaking about just an offering that God has accepted. That God is accepting Cain and his offering. Excuse me, Abel and his offering. He is rejecting Cain and his offering. Why? Because we are the ones who bring it. That God is not just concerned about this little thing out here, but the heart of the person who's bringing it. Abel's deeds were righteous because they were done in faith. But sadly, there can be outward actions, yet a heart of not faith. God rebukes Israel in Isaiah 29 when he says, The Lord said, Because of this people, because this people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. That's why we must understand that the heart that we bring, our sacrifice of praise, is, is an important aspect. And that's why repentance is important. That's why throughout the rest of Scripture, we see that we're called to have a clean heart when we come before the Lord. Now, I understand there's a confusion when we talk about worship. That worship, I understand, doesn't just happen when we gather together on a Sunday morning. Romans 12 says to, to give our bodies as living sacrifices. That every moment of our life is an overflow of our heart, which is worship. But also we see that worship is also a specific time dedicated to the Lord. There, there's those two aspects. And we're seeing here this time dedicated to the Lord when Cain and Abel come and one is received and one is rejected. One comes with a pure heart of faith. One comes with a heart that's been tainted by sin. And so it is in our corporate gathering. When we come and we sing, it's not just to sing some songs. But the songs are to be a gift to the Lord. That's why the songs we sing need to be important. They need to be chosen for a purpose. It is a gift to the Lord. Yet, how much of the time is our music actually turned toward God? Or is it just turned toward ourself? Making ourselves feel good. I've really been challenged by this recently. Look at how many of our songs say me and I in them. We're hard to find a song that doesn't have that in it. Now, I understand that the psalmist is responding sometimes. Woe, or Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. There's me and I. But often, the songs that we write are things that just help us to feel better. Now, are they truths of Scripture? Absolutely. But our focus of worship needs to be more God centered and not ourself centered. That was the problem even, because Abel comes with a heart of faith looking toward God, and it looks like the picture of Cain is that his deeds were tainted by sin, looking more towards himself. 
that even though he may have had this outward expression of a gift to the Lord that was considerably, I think, an, an offering that could be accepted, but his life was tainted with sin. It's amazing when we look at the picture of worship throughout the whole of Scripture. That for even the high priest to offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself first. Because he himself didn't even have worship to come before the Lord. We see that God had regard to Abel. God had no regard to Cain. And at the end of the day, it was God's choice to choose what he regarded and what he didn't. He is the creator. He's the one who lays down and says what he has prescribed as honorable worship to himself. And therefore, we must continue to come to him as he prescribes. We don't get to just decide how we want to worship God. It's not just, well, this feels good and and it makes me think about God, therefore it's acceptable. That's not the case. One commenter on this said, we must come to grips with one thing. God, as creator, is sovereign over his creation. While there are approximate reasons for God's decrees with ultimately what ultimately makes right, right, and wrong, wrong, it's God's sovereign choice. This does not mean that God is capricious or arbitrary. God is always reasonable because he is the creator of reason. If God's actions seem to conflict with or transcend man's sense of reason, that doesn't mean God is wrong. It means his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways, like Isaiah 55, 8 says. He respects one offering and rejects another, ultimately for his own reasons and pleasure. And isn't that the Creator's prerogative? Again, this isn't to say he is arbitrary. His word gives us the knowledge of him and the reasoning we need to understand and obey. We need to be careful on how we worship God and to make sure that he is the object of our worship. That He is the one that prescribes how we are to worship Him. But let me ask you a question I continue to ask myself. Do I define worship as what I give or what I receive? Now, I think our first reaction is, well, it's what I give. But then how do we determine what was a good worship experience? Made me feel good, didn't it? Oh, I just came and I I just was overflowing. I felt good. Didn't you feel good today at worship? Is that worshiping myself or is that truly worshiping God? Do you see the challenge there that as we walk this path, that as we trying to understand this difference between offering a sacrifice of praise and faith that the, the object of our worship is God. And is a, it is a giving to Him. Does that mean that it is void of any emotion for ourselves? Absolutely not. We see that that is clear throughout Scripture. Yet, because I believe we are emotional beings, we become very self-centered. 
The amazing joy in all of this is that if God was looking at the value of Cain and Abel bringing a sacrifice, neither one of them would be accepted. If anything, throughout the rest of Scripture, we would see that God should have actually received Cain's offering because he was the firstborn. But as we'll see in Genesis, God doesn't always work that way. Cain and Abel, I pray, can be a reminder that at the end of the day, we have nothing that we can bring. That as we come to the Lord and offer a sacrifice of praise, it's pathetic. Because it's tainted with sin. But it doesn't end there. Because in our sin, we all stand as Cain and Abel did, not able to do well, but yet Christ is our hope. We see throughout the book of Hebrews the amazing picture of how Christ is better, Christ is better, Christ is better. And if we come with the heart of faith like Abel, we come trusting because of Christ. We come to God the Father as He commands And we have faith that He will have regard upon our sacrifice, not because of our value, not because of our worth or our ability, but upon His sovereign choice, upon His deciding to look upon the value and worth of Christ, our amazing High Priest. I read Hebrews 10 just a moment ago. I want to come back a little bit further. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of what? Our faith that God accepts our sacrifice isn't on our worth, isn't on our value, but it's upon the amazing value of Christ. It's upon Him looking and choosing. And we stand in awe and say, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, uh, Even these words this morning seem but a feeble sacrifice of praise to try to put into words the majesty and beauty of who you are. And in the midst of your majesty, we are but a fallen people. We are but dust, but yet you look upon a feeble sacrifice of praise with mercy and grace. And Lord, each day, every moment that we bring a sacrifice of praise to you, I pray our hearts would be like Abel, in faith, coming 
and depending upon you to accept that sacrifice. Lord, forgive us when our hearts are like Cain, when our hearts are turned and filled, all of our deeds are evil. Lord, by your grace, help our deeds to be of righteous acts like Abel. Lord, we recognize that any of this is not accomplishable in our own strength. So, Lord, help us. Help us that we might do everything to the glory of you. Whether we eat or whether we drink, we do it all. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.